reading from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 2 through 4. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to, to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, those worshippers of Baal, by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. This juniper tree reminds me of a project we undertook when we live in, in Dallas. We decided to take out an old lawn that was full of crab grass and remove shrubbery that had been there for a long, long time and was overgrown and um, install new landscaping, sprinkler system, and, and all that. Well, no problem. It was, it was a job, but uh, we encountered a bit of a problem when we tried to remove a juniper tree, or at least what I was told was a juniper tree. I'm familiar with juniper shrubs. They can be overgrown as well and not easily removed. But in the uh, corner of the house on the outside was this juniper tree, not that tall, maybe 15 feet, that uh, seemed to be, uh, would be easy to uh, pull out. So I began to uh, dig around it as deep as I could and encountered roots, which I expected. Took an axe to those uh, roots to try to uh, begin uh, dislodging that uh, tree. Well, it was more complicated than I expected because those uh, roots went... um, the ones that went out, that was easy enough. Just take the axe to them and, and chop them up. But it seemed like they were endless at that. But after I dug down and dug underneath and got everything I could, that, that tree would still not budge. So Phil Allen came over and uh, said he could pull that thing out with his pickup. So he hooked the, the, the rope up to the tree and the pickup, and he tried to nudge it and uh, finally tried to, to jerk it. And it, the tree was unmoved, but the rope snapped. So we hooked up a chain to it and went through the whole process again. And it was no easy process. In fact, Brother Phil uh, jerked, and I thought, you're going you're gonna to ruin your pickup. Uh, but he didn't. He ruined the tree, pulled it out, and uh, it's history. So we succeeded, but uh, it's an illustration of how difficult it is to dislodge sin from the human heart. Every effort that a human being can exert will not accomplish that goal. It takes uh, the blood of Jesus. But in this case, uh, it's not sin that needed to be dislodged from Elijah. It was discouragement. And discouragement can be deadly as well. He sat under that tree, feeling sorry for himself. Brother Lonnie Carlson used to say, knee deep in a pity pool, But uh, 
he would have been done well to jump into a lake and refresh himself, but he didn't do so. So he was quite um, quite despondent. Well, we, we look at his life, and we don't have a lot of it. He appears from apparently almost nowhere to us, at least, and uh, on the scene and declares that there will be uh, no uh, rain for uh, except at his word, which was very displeasing to um, King Ahab, who trembled before his wife, Queen Jezebel, as did everyone else. But in, in this case, we have the idolatry and the immorality of all of Israel, personified in the wickedness of the king and the queen. But even during that time when the drought started and subsequently continued, the prophet found that he had enough water and food by unorthodox means. Uh, the ravens, as he settled by a brook at God's command, brought to him every day the necessary nourishment that he would need. We uh, Around the campground we have crows, which, if I'm not mistaken, are at least related to ravens and maybe a lot like ravens. I'm not sure how you would feel if you had one of those crows delivered to you, your meal for the day but I guess it would be sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Either way, it was a miracle. And Elijah recognized it as such and had enough. There's times when we want more and don't have enough. There's time when we have plenty and don't need more. Well, in this case, uh, he proved that God could provide enough. Then when the brook ran dry, we see him directed to Zarephath, where a widow lived with her son. And as he came to the gate of the city, she was gathering sticks so that she could prepare the last meal for herself and her son and then die. Well, as he entered the gates, he said to to this widow, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel. Water was scarce. But the widow did not seem to object. And as she turned to do just that, he added, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And then she did express reluctance and declared to him what I just declared to you, that she was preparing the last meal, that all she had in her possession was a handful of meal in a barrel and a little cruise of oil. Well, Elijah replied in so many words, well, that's going to be enough. God's going to take care of us. And, you know, God did throughout uh, the coming uh, famine until God sent rain upon the earth. Well, we find that faith is enough. Obedience is enough. Faith in God and obedience to God. And uh, prayer uh, is enough. In fact, Jesus cited this occasion when he said there were many widows in Israel But unto none of them was the prophet sent, but unto this uh, widow here outside of Israel, and God provided for her. Well, eventually that same son died, and we see that Elijah prayed the prayer of faith and raised him from the dead. 
So for Elijah to fall into this state of despair that we find himself him in in this text is somewhat interesting because he had seen the blessings of God for three and a half years, really. Well, before that, there was this contest on Mount Carmel where the prophets of Baal uh, stood in contrast to the one uh, prophet of uh, God and uh, Baal in contrast to God. Pray as they might after following his instructions, there was no indication that Baal was alive. Of course not. He did not even exist except for in the imagination of the idolaters. But God is alive. He was alive then and still is. And after a simple prayer, the fire of heaven came down and God answered the prayer that Elijah prayed there and let those in attendance know who the real God was. Well, from there, he prayed. And James tells us he prayed that it did not rain in the beginning and prayed again and God sent rain. Well, the contest had been won by the God of heaven, but the rain still had not come. So we find that after that uh, uh, took place, Ahab, who should have been praying himself, instead he went to feasting and Elijah went to prayer. Well, God answered his prayer and pretty soon he saw the cloud the size of a man's hand and he said, we got to get out of here. And he get out of there. He did. He ran ahead of the chariot that was uh, pulled by the uh, horses with the king uh, seated there and outran it down to the city. So about this time, I mean, Elijah's feeling pretty good, don't you think? He's just been taken care of for three and a half years, has endured a, a race against uh, horses uh, with Ahab uh, in pursuit, not necessarily in pursuit right there, but uh, it seems like he, he had every reason to be encouraged. Well, he wasn't. And then he prayed that prayer, and he says, it's enough. I, I, there's more come my way than I can take. Uh, just take me home. I'm not better than those who've lived before me who've been faithful. Just let me die. Well, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. There's been a few times where I felt okay. I didn't think it used to be okay, or I didn't used to think it was okay to, uh, when you ran into trouble, to say, even so, come quickly, Lord, uh, just to bail you out of your problems. But I've, I've adapted that view over the last um, period of time. Uh, but I've never sat under that juniper tree and said, Lord, just let me die. But people do get discouraged. Uh, people do uh, fall into a state of uh, despair, we do so when we take our eyes off the Lord and focus on the circumstances around us. Elijah was a very, well, he was a man subject to like passions as we are. So not unlike Elijah, we are subject to the circumstances that surround us and to our emotions but if we follow the example of Elijah and his prayers, uh, we will certainly overcome with um, great victory, just as he did. So he 
He needed a touch from heaven. That'll do it. All right. And as he prayed in his despair, uh, we, we see he went that day's journey after having left his servant who was with him back there a day ago. That may have been a mistake. Uh, isolation is, is no friend of encouragement. It just um, puts you back where Brother Lonnie said we don't want to go. But um, he did it. He sat under that tree, wished he would, would die. And there uh, he uh, slept. But as he slept, and the angel of the Lord came and ultimately served him a meal. We don't find that Elijah felt that was remarkable. I wonder if he could tell the difference between a, a crow and an angel. Well, right there, maybe not so much, but the angel of the Lord provided that uh, meal on the coals and the cruise of, of, of water at his head, told him to, to eat. He did so, fell back to sleep again, still had not uh, recovered. And there the, <clears throat> the angel gave him a second touch. Well, we'd be stretching it to say that the first touch is salvation and the second touch is entire sanctification. Uh, but I just stretched it. Anyway, uh, he received that, uh, that second touch and went on the strength of what was provided there for 40 days. 40 days he traveled out in the wilderness. Well, the wilderness typically is not where we want to go, but... There can be some advantages to the wilderness experience, all right? Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before he got to the place where God could make him what Moses thought he was 40 years earlier. Even Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to teach us how to overcome in the wilderness. Jesus did not sit under a juniper tree and feel sorry for himself, uh, that's for sure. But he went, um, Elijah did, he went 40 days and ended up at the Mount of God. I wonder why he went there. Perhaps that was where he went because that's where God met Moses and communed with him. Anyway, he ended up in a cave. He came out of that, in that cave and the Lord passed by. Perhaps the same spot where the Lord uh, sheltered Moses as his glory passed by some uh, centuries earlier. Either way, he um, needed to hear from heaven. And there we find that a mighty wind came and a great earthquake and a raging fire as the prophet stood there at that at the opening of that cave. But uh, the Lord sent those, uh, but the voice of the Lord was not in those. We hear at different times, and, and I, we've heard it in this past year, the circumstances of the, of the year with this um, I don't really want to talk about the pandemic thing, so forgive me. I've heard enough about it. Anyway, but nevertheless, people have, have said maybe, maybe God's trying to get our attention. Or last summer when we had the wind 
And then the fires, uh, unlike in the Portland area, what anyone I've talked to has ever seen in their life living in the Portland area. And the same comment came, maybe, maybe God is trying to speak. Well, maybe, or not. Because when God speaks, he doesn't always speak in the, these demonstrative ways. It certainly gives pause to individuals, and so we, we hope that they consider the fact that God still speaks, but he uh, probably more often speaks in the same manner he spoke this day on the, the Mount of God to the prophet Elijah, and that was in a still, small voice. And he asked him, actually twice, What doest thou here, Elijah? It's not like God wonders, it's like I wondered why he went 40 days there. And I don't think God asked that question. Or rather, God did not ask that question because he did not know what Elijah uh, was doing there. Perhaps he asked the question so that Elijah would consider, what are you doing there? Elijah, what were you doing under the juniper tree? Why, why? I don't think it was a geographic uh, query. I think it was uh, a spiritual question. What doest thou? Why, why are you languishing in this uh, spot of despair, Elijah? Well, Elijah had a reason, but it wasn't a good one. Talked about Ahab and Jezebel after him, and he was uh, about to be history. And besides that, there was no one else who served God. Well, two out of the three comments that Elijah used for justification were uh, on target, but one was not, and that was the latter one. Because we later learned that God had 7,000 who had not bowed their knees to Baal uh, nor kissed his face. It pays to listen to the right voice, I'll say that. Elijah had been listening to Ahab and to Jezebel at the expense of hearing the calming voice of the God of heaven. We want to hear the right voices. We want to listen for the voice of God. He certainly does still speak. And in fact, Isaiah spoke to that. He says, And though I give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction... Yet, he goes on, thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, this is the way, walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. I used to think that when you're tempted to turn out of the right way, to the right or to the left, that's where you hear the voice of God saying, don't, don't, don't do that. But that's not really what we hear uh, or read here. It's... Uh, Thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way walk ye in it when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. It's, it's, it may be more like God's voice is there to tell you when to turn to the right hand and when to, tell to the, uh, turn to the left. That's the voice. And that voice comes when God sends adversity and affliction. His voice is there. So does he speak through the adversity? Or is that adversity his voice? Is the affliction his voice? 
Or is his voice that still small voice that you hear in your ear? This is the way, walk ye in it. We want to hear the, the voice of God. And when he heard that voice, we read that he wrapped his face in the mantle. Which reminds us of Moses at the burning bush when he was afraid to look upon God. So here, Elijah demonstrates a similar a spirit as God asks him, why, why are you here? A question that Elijah never uh, seems to have answered. But uh, nor, nor uh, did God address uh, Elijah's complaint except for to say, you're wrong about being the only one. There are 7,000 others. And then he gives him a, an assignment. The, the voice of God commissions him, go return on thy way. God ignored, at least to Elijah, the drama that he was encountered and the discouragement and, and instead addressed that by commissioning him to go on his way to see that uh, two kings were anointed and, and a prophet also anointed in his room or to take his place, to succeed him. So when Elijah was saying, it is enough, God's reply is, no, it's, it, it, it's not enough. I have more for you to do. When we think it's enough, I can't take any more. We might come to that conclusion, but God has not come to that conclusion. No, no, it, it's not enough. There's more. There's more to do. I have assignment for you to fulfill. God's grace is always enough. Paul learned that when he uh, was sent uh, a thorn in the flesh uh, to buffet him, which can be translated to, to um, beat him up. And he was beat up, not by God, but by the circumstances of life. So God said that three times, Paul said. I prayed for God to remove that thorn from me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, which makes some think that it was not a physical problem that others uh, hold, but an individual or individuals. Either way, after having prayed the third time, God replied, and perhaps he replied all three times, but he certainly did reply at least a third time and said, no, it's not enough, Paul. You've not had enough. My grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. Well, we thank God for his his grace. It's true that the enemy of our soul sends circumstances that are designed to tear us down and to leave us brutalized and and discouraged. But at the same time, God sends corresponding grace uh, that uses those same circumstances to build us up and to encourage us. So next time you get to the point where you say, it's enough, I've had enough. Remember, God is replying, no, it's not enough. You've not had enough. Uh, You need to experience the grace that I'm going to impart to you. Sometimes we we hear parents say to their uh, children, that's enough of that. Well, that's all right. It is enough of that. 
But, but other times we, we might say not enough or enough. Either way, we don't want to say to God, it's enough, Lord, because the Lord's reply can be predicted. It is, no, it's not enough. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness, paraphrasing. So when we are weak, well, that's a reminder that we need God's grace. We need God's help. But it's also a reminder that God will provide just that. Thank God uh, that you have that sustaining grace uh, behind you and before you and leading you, covering for uh, your uh, frailty. Uh, The Lord is going to bless you as you always remember that his grace is enough. Prayer is enough. Faith in God is enough. Obedience to him is enough. So we thank God for the privilege we have now to go to our knees in prayer.